saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dauphin. Therefore he thither, excuse me, therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto them, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. For the next few moments tonight, I want to preach from this subject, Overwhelmed but not outnumbered. Overwhelmed, but not outnumbered. Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, sometimes I'm overwhelmed, but I'm never outnumbered. If I'm honest with you, I just really like to know what's going on. I like to know how things are about to go. I, I just like to know what is ahead. I don't particularly enjoy leaving too many things up to chance. I'm not shaken nearly as bad by actual terrible things that happen in calamity, if you will, as I am shaken by simple uncertainty. In tough times, I've come to know that my imagination is almost always worse than reality. Anybody else like that? My brain just works in overdrive, I feel like sometimes, to give me the worst case, unrealistic scenario of what could possibly happen. And sometimes, I hate to admit, you don't want to hear a preacher get up and say this, but sometimes I am overwhelmed by trivial circumstances, things that I really just shouldn't be bothered by like I am. And I just have to take a step back and process all the factors and wrap my mind around what is actually going on before I can move forward. Doesn't matter if it's a few years ago when I was diagnosed with a tumor or, or Lauren and I making a decision on buying a house or if we're just out buying groceries. I can be overwhelmed by any of it, I think. Uh, I just want to be able to see all the possibilities and, and where everything could go and be prepared for any outcome. Don't ever go grocery shopping with me. I am the worst shopper on the planet. 
I will stand in the aisle for 30 minutes analyzing in my brain all the potential scenarios that could happen if I choose this or this and I want to figure everything out. What's the best case scenario at Kroger? What's the worst case scenario? You know, is this going to be a good deal? Is this worth my money? Am I going to regret this as soon as I walk out the store? What's all the reviews on it? Is, is this spaghetti got bad reviews? I need to know. This is important. I look up reviews for every single thing I have to know. And if it doesn't have reviews, that's the worst. I'm the first one to try it. No thanks. And so I will stand there and just analyze and hold it in my hand. Probably I, I look like I'm doing some mental calculus in the aisle with one thing in one hand and one thing in the other hand. And if Lauren's with me after a while, she'll be like, oh, my word, Clinton, it's sour cream and there's five cents difference between them. It doesn't matter what you get. Just put something in the cart. It's fine. It's going to be fine. And she's right. It's going to be fine. There's no reason to be paralyzed and overwhelmed by things that just don't matter. Um, But with situations and decisions, I feel like I just need to know. I I just need to know exactly how it's going to go. Now, I would love to say that this only affects my life in non-serious ways, you know, buying groceries and such. But if I'm honest, sometimes this even gets me in the area of my faith, that I am thinking and trying to analyze every little thing and trying to figure it all out. And my desire to be prepared for every outcome sometimes hinders my ability to believe that God is working in the simplest way. It sometimes hinders my ability just to trust that he is going to work it out because I always take it on myself to know all of it. Anybody ever been there? We're in the process of Lauren and I buying a house in Jonesboro, which is a miracle in and of itself. We're excited about it. And all throughout this process so far, God has been good to us. And he's worked out some things that he he certainly didn't have to work out that way and and we're pleased with this and so we were going to have we heard that the appraisal for a house was going to be this Friday so Lauren comes to me and she says now Clinton this appraisal is is set for Friday but you know Congress is coming up yes I do Really, this, this appraisal needs to happen before Friday because we need to get moved in our house and, and all this stuff. It'll be better if it will happen before Friday. Now, I'm not trying to be Mr. Old Little Faith, but in my analyze everything brain, I, I think about the past and I think of my dealings with, I, I've not had things appraised before, but just dealings with situations like that. And I'm like, it'll never happen, Lauren. Like, that would be great. It would be great if they could get it done. But it's scheduled for Friday. I ain't never seen nothing moved up for me in my whole life. Like, great, but but it ain't happening. Good good on you. Keep believing, but that's you. You know, that's on you. And and so here she goes. She gets to to pray in and believe in for something, in my mind, small. I mean, it would would certainly be a help, but but certain, uh, we don't. You know, it's not going to happen. And so 
Here it is Monday night. She gets a message that the appraisal has been moved up to Tuesday morning. Well, she's shouting around the house like all the heavens just opened up, rebuking me for my little faith that I displayed, and I deserved it. And I said, I will take that on the chin because I deserve that one. But I got my vindication because she texted the guy about it, and he's like, well, that's awesome, but here's the thing. In reality, it's really not going to make that much of a difference because we ain't going to get their appraisal report back till Friday anyway because they're super slow on that. And I didn't tell this to my wife, but I was like, yes, I done told you you how it was going to be. <laughs> Vindicated. That's how life is. It's going to go worse than you think. It's, you just got to wait for the other shoe to drop sometimes. It's, you know, I'm not trying to not have faith. It's just you got to be prepared for, for something to go wrong. We'll do the best we can do to work it out, but no reason to get our faith up over nothing. So a few hours later... <laughs> I get a call from this guy, and he says, Clinton, you ain't going to believe this. But just after I told your wife that we would never get the appraisal back till Friday, this is Tuesday, the day that they did the appraisal, he said, what, what do you think I just got an email about? I said, you did not. And he said, yes, I did. <laughs> And I have the appraisal report in my inbox right now. And he said, you must be living right. And I said, you bet I am. <laughs> He's like, I need to do business with preachers more. He's like, things are just working out better than they usually do. It doesn't happen like this usually. Can I just tell you tonight that we have friends in high places if we knew how God was working things out on our behalf all the time, we would have such unshakable faith. But sometimes we get so caught up in, in how and why that we just can't imagine why He would do that thing for us. We can't imagine why He would work in our situation. We can't imagine in all the things that must be on His mind as God why He would stoop to dealing with this or that for us. And, and we can get so overwhelmed by the things going on that we trade in our faith for doubt and build it as realism. We trade in our belief in God for a faith in our enemy. And even after we have experienced the miraculous over and over and over and over, and I can point to specific times in my life where I say, God did this and I'm convinced of that. And even when we can point to these miraculous experiences in our life, it is the persistence of our enemy to always keep coming against us that causes us to believe that there is always going to be opposition that we must be worried and concerned about. That there's an enemy around every corner that we have to take account of. And we've got to figure out how we can deal with. I can certainly relate to the servant in our scripture text. Like us, he has been around the miraculous. We've seen it around Sanctuary Church, and he was the servant to Elisha. And, and even in this story, see, the king of Syria had decided to make war against the people of Israel. And he said, you know, the best way to get Israel is to get their king. And so he consults his advisors, and he 
gathers his servants and they plot together and they say, you know what we'll do is we will set up an ambush for the king of Israel and when he comes by, we will be able to capture him or perhaps kill him. I mean, he's going to be totally unaware that this is going to happen and it's going to be great. And so they set up their camp at this place that they feel like the Israelite king is going to be. But God speaks to the prophet Elisha, tells him everything that they said. And Elisha tells what they've conspired against the king of Israel and sends a message to his king and says, Don't go by such and such a place. Go a different way because the enemy has camped out there to ambush you. Now, this ain't my sermon, but I can't pass up this moment because it's great teaching. We ought to be thankful for a man of God in our life who warns us when the enemy is setting up an ambush to destroy our soul. Like the king of Israel, we need to make sure that we have the sense to hear the man of God and hear our pastor when he says, whatever you do, don't go that way. Whatever you do, pick a different way than that way because the enemy will capture you if you go that way. And the enemy will try to destroy you if you go that way. Go any way other than the way that you're headed right now. Do anything but but what you're doing. you got to turn around from that and there are times that God doesn't speak to us directly about situations in our life and there are times that God didn't warn me about situations in my life but he gave a word to my pastor and he gave a word to the man of God and from a pulpit or in a conversation I heard life saving advice don't go that way that's going to mess you up Don't tell me that having a church and having a pastor isn't important. It is very important. It is a way that God keeps us safe from the attacks of the enemy. Oh, it probably didn't help the king's pride that Elisha said, just go a different way. He's a king after all. He would have probably liked to set up his own ambush, you know. They're going to get me, I'm going to get them. It would have been an opportune time, perhaps. But Elisha says, don't even, don't even bother with that. You just go a different way. Don't worry about trying to fight it at all. He says, if you go that way, if you try to do anything with this, you're going to be dragged into a battle that you cannot win. So flee from that and get away from that. We ought to hear our pastor, the man of God in our life, when he says, you need to flee from that job that, that keeps you out of church because it's not a blessing but it is an ambush that the enemy that wars against your soul is setting against you we ought to hear the man of God in our life when he tells us to flee from the pool to be comfortable in not responding to the word of the Lord because it's an ambush set by the devil to destroy you and to destroy me I cannot tell you how many times that our pastor has said something that that I ought to avoid either in a sermon or, or to me personally. And after some time passed, I realized just how happy I was that I did not go that way. You ever realize the wisdom of the Lord and the wisdom of the Word of God a little more after you got a little older? 
It's funny how that is, but there's some ways that I didn't understand while maybe my parents or my pastor said when I was younger. But as I get older, I realize the wisdom in not going some of those ways. And we would do well to take heed to that. It might have felt good to my flesh to take that path. And it might have felt good to my pride to go that way. But it would have caused calamity and it would have caused destruction in my life. I thank God for a pastor. We need a pastor. Let the man of God correct us and rebuke us and help us go God's way and in God's time and in God's season. Elisha tells this to the king of Israel. Don't go that way. There's an ambush. The enemy is going to destroy you. And so the king of Israel takes heed and goes a different route. And this happens several times, and the enemy's plans are foiled. So the Syrian king is understandably getting a little frustrated about this. I have these plans, and there's no reason for him not to go the way that our intelligence suggested that he should go. We have plotted this out. We should have got him by now, and it's just not going right. And that can only mean one thing. And so he gets his advisors, and he gets his servants together and, and pulls them in the same room, and he says, Now look here, we've got a problem because somebody in this room is for the king of Israel. And somebody in this room is spying for them and telling them this information that we are sharing and we are plotting and we can't have this and we're going to fix this mole real quick. We're not going to have a rat telling all of our plans. One of his servants says, Oh no, that's not what's going on here. He says, There is a prophet in Israel named Elisha. And it really doesn't matter where you talk about it. doesn't matter if it's in your most private place in your bedchamber. He hears what you're plotting against their king because God is telling him and he's relaying that information. So the king of Syria says, well, this isn't going to work. He might hear us right now, but we're going to find where he is and we're going to send everybody to go get him. You know, I always, for a long time, I wondered, why would he go after the person that knew he would go after him? Or what choice did he really have? And I think the difference is is that he does. He sends everybody. He says, get our best horsemen. Get our best chariots. I don't care if everybody knows we're coming. We're taking him. They can send the whole army, but we're sending everybody. And so they send him. They say he's in Dothan. And and so they come to get Elisha. They send their most intimidating force. And and one morning Elisha's servant gets up and he looks around. And he says, oh my word. In the middle of the night, the king of Syria has sent this great army and everywhere I look, everywhere I turn is horses and chariots and people who are coming to get us. I don't have any idea what to do. I'm just a servant. Elisha, what 
shall we do? What can we do to this? I don't know of a way to escape this. I didn't hear a word from God saying we needed to get out of here. I didn't hear nothing and here we are surrounded. We have no we have no way out. It had to be an overwhelming situation for him. What shall we do? And Elisha looks at his servant who is no doubt again overwhelmed by the situation and says, fear not because they that are with us are more than they that are with them. Can I tell you tonight that you might very well be overwhelmed when you think of situations that you're facing in your life and you might not know how in the world you're going to get out of this or you're going to make it out of that or you're going to resolve this or the other and you might not understand how God could work it out or would work it out and when you look at things that have come against you, you only see trouble on this side and trouble on the other side and you your enemies surrounding you and you think what in the world am I going to do now? But I've come to remind you on a Wednesday night that though you might be overwhelmed, you are not outnumbered. Those who are for you are more than those who are against you. And I pray tonight that God will open your eyes and open my eyes so that we can look like Elisha's servant to the hills from whence cometh our help. Yes, we've been seeing miracles at Sanctuary Church, but you better believe there's still some situations in my life that overwhelm me and feel like they surround me and feel like I don't have an answer for those and feels like I've got enemies on every side. And at times it feels like my very breath is taken away. But although we all might be overwhelmed at times... The situations might overwhelm me. They might surround me. But we are not outnumbered. We're not in this battle alone. God hasn't forgotten you. And He hasn't forgotten me. Neither has He forsaken you or me. Second Chronicles 20 and 15 says this, Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. You're looking around at your situation like Elisha's servant, thinking, What in the world are we going to do with this? We're going to do what we've always been doing. Right? We're going to do everything that we've always done. I'm planning on doing what my father and my grandfather did for years. I'm planning on doing the same thing that the apostles did. I'm planning on doing what all the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament did. We're going to keep believing and we're going to keep praying and we're going to keep giving and we're going to keep serving and we're going to keep witnessing and we're going to keep worshiping. And we're going to give everything that we can give. And we're going to believe and serve the Lord. Because hell is watching with bated breath to see what you and I are going to do as they surround us. But let hell know that we ain't going to have a pity party. But we will magnify the name that is above every name. And give glory to the one who holds our victory in the palm of his hand. 
We're going to sing praises to our Savior in heaven. We're going to bless His name. And we're going to do His mission. And we're not going to get focused on all this trivial stuff down here. But we're going to live with a purpose that is above the things that He sins against us. The Lord is our victorious, ever-present help. He is our life and our Lord. He is our creator and our judge. He is our savior and sustainer. He's our teacher and advocate. He's the way and the truth and the life. And He and all of heaven are on our side. He's the king over every king. And the God above every God. And the answer To every problem. Come on somebody. I know that you're overwhelmed tonight. But you are not outnumbered. Those that are fighting for you. Are greater than those that are fighting against you. Imagine the greatness of sin. Consider that for a moment. Sin that condemned all of humanity. Sin that started in the garden and spread to every life. Sin. Sin is powerful. Sin is destructive. Sin wrecks everything it touches. Sin is nasty. And yet the Bible says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Those that are with you are more than those that are against you. If you've got sin in your life tonight, take heart because the grace that is for you is greater than the sin that you're fighting. Take heart that in every situation and trial and failure that you can find a grace that is greater than your sin. What's for you is greater than what's against you. We've got to shift our thinking on all this stuff. Because as I looked at this story, I realized something interesting to me. There is no mention that Elisha or his servant ever once prayed that the angels would show up on their behalf. You think about that. You think God only works when I get to praying. You know, like I am somewhat responsible. And I do. Don't don't say I'm saying something I'm not. God hears the prayers of his people. And God responds to prayer. There's nothing more powerful that we have at our disposal, I feel, as Christians than prayer. But this was a problem that they could not anticipate. Assuming that God didn't make Elisha privy to it. They went to bed one night fine. And they woke up the next morning with trouble on every side. You ever live like that it seems? You go to bed and everything is fine. And you wake up and everything is the opposite of fine. The kids are disgusting and hate you. They're ugly. How was that kid? I'm sorry, Mom. Everything is going wrong. Nothing is going right at your job. Nothing. It's like just the enemy overnight came and surrounded everything that you hold dear. And you have no idea how to get out of it. 
And Elisha says something so profound as his servant is overwhelmed by it. Because Elisha doesn't even pray. That's wild to me. He sees the enemies too. And his servant is losing his mind. And he says, what are we going to do? And Elisha doesn't even go to pray. And he says, well, he does pray, but not for their deliverance. He says, Lord, open his eyes that he can see you working. And his eyes are open. And he sees that the Lord has surrounded their enemy. That on the hills around them. That there are chariots and horses of flame and fire. And the angels are there on their side. Those that are for them are more than against them. Before they could even anticipate the need to pray. God already provided the answer. And could it be that as we magnify the Lord and worship Him, doing that simply sets into motion the plan that He already had? Could it be that when I come into service, there are things that the devil's trying to do that I don't even know about yet. But as I come to him in faith and glorify his name and magnify him, he says, I'm going to take care of that and you're not going to see any of it. You're not going to have to see this trouble, but I'm going to do it. The king of Syria made a habit of ambushing or trying to ambush everybody else. It only was fitting that God would set an ambush for him. The devil had Elisha right where God wanted Elisha. He had him right where God wanted him. We've got to stop expecting the devil to be anything but the devil and this is hard for me this is hard and I'm coming to a close I hesitate to say this because I do feel like it's childish and I don't want you to think I'm sacrilegious but I done put it on Facebook so you know I never intended on saying this but I do think it's appropriate but there's a story in the Bible about the roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. It's in the Old Testament somewhere probably. The roadrunner's real fast, you know, and the Wiley Coyote tries to make all kinds of traps. It's definitely not a kid's cartoon. <laughs> and what I have found in, in knowing about the roadrunner is that the Wiley Coyote has one job, it seems, and that's just to try to get the roadrunner. And he will try... Hairbrain scheme after hairbrain scheme. He'll set up a train and he'll put TNT and dynamite and this and that. And it doesn't matter how much stuff blows up in his face. The next day, he's doing the same thing again. Day after day after day after day after day. And the roadrunner, you don't even get to see anything of him. My brother asked me today, he's like, who really is the star of the roadrunner? Because you don't even see him. Right? He's just there for a minute running along, doing this or that. But you got to imagine that's got to be tiring if you're the road runner. Day after day, somebody out to get you. Every day you wake up, you know somewhere along your path, somebody has tried to mess you up and do you wrong. But what I've noticed in, in the gospel of the road runner 
is that he just keeps running. And as childish as this might be, it hit me like a ton of bricks yesterday that the reason why I don't have peace sometimes in my life is I spend too much time worried about the wily coyote and too little time running. And the devil's going to be the devil every day of your life. And you can't get worried when you wake up in the morning and he's got your whole town surrounded and got your life surrounded. What do you expect? He's the devil. It's what he does. But what do you expect from you and I? We're Christians. We're made to magnify the Lord and serve him and love him. God didn't make me to worry about the devil. God didn't make me to spend all of my days concerned with his schemes and concerned with his devices but he made you and I to be like him and to show him to the world and if we get so focused on all this stuff down here we will miss what God has for us up there and we will miss what even God has for us down here we'll never get anywhere if we stop running and just start worrying. We'll never get anywhere if we start doubting and getting concerned about that instead of just believing that God who is for us is greater than those who are against us. We can stand together tonight. God is already working it out. And I don't know what situations that you're facing in your life today. I know for me, and some of you know this, and I'm not going to go in detail. But even as I am saying what I feel like is a miracle in regard to a house, certainly an answered prayer for Lauren and I, I'm dealing with job stuff that is absolutely out of control, I feel like. And I don't understand any of it. I don't understand why people are behaving in the way that they are. I don't have, I've tried to do everything that I know how to do. I've tried to handle it, and I'm not saying I did everything right, we're people. But I've tried to do everything I know how to do. And some days I wake up, and like Elisha's servant, I just want to look around and say, What do I do? What are we to do? I got enemies on this side and enemies on that side. But I feel God telling me strong, and maybe it's for somebody else. But what you do is you stop worrying about that, and you get your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and stop worrying about all this little stuff down here, and let the devil be the devil, and let God be God. Let God handle that. Let God set up your protection. Let God be for you instead of us just trying to be for ourselves. David sees the enemy destroy everything it seemed that they had and sack this city and steal their sons and daughters. People are ready to stone him. His own people are ready to stone him. And 1 Samuel 30 and 6 at the end of this says, And David encouraged himself in the Lord. Ain't nothing glamorous about encouraging yourself, but there's a whole lot biblical about it. Ain't nothing glamorous about having to 
sit at home and read the Bible a little bit and think on the goodness of the Lord, but there's a whole lot of good scripture about it. It's a lot more fun to gripe and gossip and complain, if I'm honest, but it's a lot more biblical to just talk about how good God has been and talk about the miracles that He's done and talk about where He's taking you in this church. And if you believe God is doing a great work in this church, I wish that we could come forward into the front tonight and just begin to thank Him for everything that He's been doing. I believe that He has been working out miracle after miracle after miracle for this church. He's working out things regarding building our building. He's working out things regarding selling this property. He's working out things regarding bringing prodigals home. He's working out things regarding getting people's jobs worked out and this and that. I don't have time to worry about the little stuff that the devil brings against me but we have too much to be thankful for and too much to give him praise for and so tonight I want to say I love you Jesus and I thank you for your goodness and I thank you for the miracles that you've already done and I thank you for the healing that you've done and I thank you for working out my dad's job and working out tumors in my head and working out this or that in other people's lives and giving healing from cancer and in healing from other disease and growing bones and in doing all these things that we have seen. Our God is a great God who is in control and is deserving of all the praise today. We love you, Jesus, and there is nobody in this world like Him. There is nobody above Him. There is nobody that will take care of us like He can. There is power in your testimony. There is power in your story. And I wish, I step on my toes so much tonight because this is a struggle for me, if I'm honest. This is a struggle for me. But if I could just tell of the good things that God has done, instead of the bad things that I feel like are going wrong, my life would be so much easier because I found that it's just worry. I look back at times in my life where the devil had me so up in a knot about this or that that I couldn't even see straight. And then by the time it was said and done, God had worked everything out And it wasn't even bad, but God worked it out for my good. And why am I robbing myself of the peace of today? And why am I robbing myself of God's plan for right now? Focused on something that God didn't even intend for me to worry about. He sent his angels before they prayed about it. God didn't want Elisha to worry about the army. He didn't want him to have to. Elisha had enough concerns, I feel like God was saying. And I just, I got this one. I got this one. And and if there's some situations in your life, I feel like tonight God's just saying, I got this one. This one's on me. And you might wake up tomorrow and feel like everything is going wrong. But God's got that one. And you don't have to spend a minute worrying about it. But give it to God. There's a 
says this, count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. And if we will count our blessings, we'll realize just how blessed we are. See, miracle after miracle after miracle. And God is going to keep doing miracle after miracle after miracle. Thank you for being at Sanctuary Church tonight. You are a great, great people.